cliffcentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and cliffcentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law, like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on cliffcentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg and this is The Laws of Life on cliffcentral.com. Alongside me today, as usual, Lionel Makokotlela. Welcome, Lionel. Dumela, Gary, and Dumela to our listeners and thank God it's December. Yeah, it's uh, not only December, it's nearly Christmas and it's family time filled with love, joy and happiness, as we all know, Lines. But unfortunately, not for everyone. I don't want to put a dampener on on your Christmas, but very often there's uh, kids that are involved that are forced to cope in uh, in an abused or neglected, estranged or alienated or even rejected way, and um, it's very sad for them. And we want to talk about that today and um, what's going on out there. We have a a real expert. This is a man who. Everyone consults with. He knows more than most. His name is Luke Lamprecht. He's an advocate for child protection and consultant for the Johannesburg Child Advocacy Forum. So we've got the best of the best. Welcome to you, Luke. Thank you very much, Gary. Uh, lines, yeah. As always, we've got the best of the best. And if you really want to get touch uh, in touch with us, you can get it um, through uh, via what is it? Hertz Law is our Twitter handle. H-E-R-T-Z-L-A-W A Facebook page uh, The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg And then if you want to email us Law, L-A-W At cliffcentral.com yeah. To the rescue as always Thank you very much Mr. Gary So uh, Luke, thanks for this Appreciate it I mean we've just said that It's not often a very happy time for kids Nor for very, very often for parents Of these kids uh, how do you see it? What's going on out there? Well, look, Gary, I think there's there's two elements to it. I think the first is that, the, you know, the whole kind of party atmosphere of the December period often comes with a lot of substance use and comes with a lot of people out of their normal comfort zones and traveling away. So we we see that what is happening is people often don't think about the kind of party atmosphere later on in the year. So people might be going out having lots of drinks, having uh, sex that they ordinarily wouldn't have, not thinking about the consequences of the sex. And what we're getting uh, coming from it is people coming back from the holidays or after the holidays, and suddenly they have a pregnancy to confront that potentially was both unplanned and now unwanted. Mm. Okay, so we have, I know that we've done a show very recently, two, three weeks ago, on adoption where we found out that about two million South African or Kids in South Africa are up for adoption. That means it's, uh, they're looking for, looking for a home. So there are children that are born out of, very often, out of marriage, out of wedlock. What's going on? How do these kids, how, how's this happening? Why is it happening? Well, I think the first thing is that people don't consider the consequences of sexual activity. So th- there's a lot of focus around HIV and don't get HIV and antiretrovirals. But in terms of true family planning, you know, if you are going to have a child, 
you know, we often talk about preconception attachments. In other words, you've thought about having a child before you have that child. And often in these contexts, people aren't thinking about the child, often not even thinking about the consequences of the sex. It's very immediate. Often, like I say, fueled by change in routine, substance use, partying, being exposed to environments where um, sort of thoughtless sex, thoughtless sex occurs. Mm. And what happens is the child that comes from that, because they become unplanned, well, they started off as unplanned, and when they, the people find out they're pregnant, they become unwanted both by the male and then by the female. What is happening is there's no what we fancy word, what we call attachment. So in other words, there's no real liking of that child because you didn't think about it. It could have been a one-night stand. Very often it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And I yeah. think that that's the big thing is mm. it's if, if you look at the, um, the concept of you planning your child, when moms and dads, or not doesn't have to be moms and dads, when people, have to, when people think about having a child, they first prepare their finances, they prepare their home, they prepare their minds, they prepare their lives. Then they start trying to conceive. And then once they've conceived, they start creating, the, the mothers create space in their bodies, the fathers create space in the world for the children. And then when the baby is born, everybody's very excited and the baby takes up actual space. Now for somebody who hasn't thought through that whole process, when that pregnancy happens and then the birth, an unwanted and unplanned child is more likely to be terminated, uh, abandoned, and then if given birth to and not abandoned, is more likely to be abused or neglected. Let's talk about termination of, of babies. Mm. Uh, we know that that is, is, is prolific right now. People Absolutely. are just dumping them. What's the law? How does it work? So the, the the choice of termination of pregnancy act says that you have to look at what trimester the pregnancy is in, and you for the men out there you have three trimesters in a pregnancy, so three, six, and nine months. Mm. And in the first trimester there is no condition for a termination. So in other words, you can be a woman of any age, and as a woman of any age you can go and you're entitled to a termination of pregnancy, and you don't have to give a reason whatsoever. Where do you go for that? So local clinics, mm. uh, Maury Stopes, Deezer Clinic. There's there's many clinics that that offer mm. the service. And uh, sorry, Luke, mm. can you be any age? Can you be ten? The little girls of ten that are falling pregnant. Absolutely. Yeah. So the the difficulty when that comes in is how did that child be? become pregnant and then you have to look at the sexual offences and the children's legislation mm. which is saying there's a mandatory reporting requirement. Yeah. So there's a balance between the you know the, the reproductive health and rights of the child but at the same time also saying that we need to protect the child because who's making a 10 year old pregnant. Mm. So there's always that balance when the child is under certainly under 12 and obviously questioned between 12 and 16. Okay so a little girl or, a, or a, an, an older girl walks into a clinic, mm. they do it for free and it takes what's it a day clinic a day? so in the first trimester it's a it's a day clinic yeah and the obviously the, the, you know the cost does depend so you've mm. obviously got private uh, operators um, you've got sliding scales and then you've got state operators mm. so theoretically it should be uh, it should be free and anyone should be able to access it mm. but we have issues around um, for example foreign young foreign people being denied services. Mm. We have uh, issues around the fact that there is um, prejudice by medical or nursing professionals saying, you know, you can't use this as a form of um, as a form of contraception. You need to be thinking more about what it is that you're doing when you're going out and having sex. So there's kind of those interpersonal barriers as well that then push people to the more illegal 
routes of abortion. Are we talking the first trimester? Well, right through, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You must remember in the second and third trimesters, you can still have a termination, but now there are conditions attached. Let's just stick to, sorry, mm. uh, let's no, just no, stick with uh, first trimester. Sure. You can walk in and uh, you can demand it. And do you need parent, parental consent? Not at all. No. Not according to that. You can be all. under 18 and you walk in and say, I'm pregnant and... You know, I want you to abort. Is that the word that's used? Well, it's a termination Terminate. of pregnancy. So yeah. that you know, it's the choice of termination of pregnancy act. So it's called a termination because I think the word the word abortion is you know quite value laden, and I yeah. think people have tried to use other terminology for it. It's not done by backyard operators in the first trimester, or is it? it uh, I think it's done across the board um, mm. by backyard operators. But the the conditions that start getting it sort of imposed later on. Um, for example, you know, the mom's health must be in danger. The child is a product of rape or incest. Uh, the child is non-viable. So there's conditions in the, in the latter stages, mm-hmm. which you have to satisfy in order to get the termination done. So often it's at the point of around 26 weeks when women start showing and you start seeing that they're pregnant, that they start saying, oh, you know, I'm pregnant. I need to do something now. You know, I can't access the service and or maybe it, I don't have the money to, I don't know, or there's the stigma around it, whatever the reason is. So they would then go more for the guys that you see on the street poles who, you know, kind of advertise the enlargement of certain body parts and then the termination of the result. So they enlarge your penis and they terminate a, a, a fetus, right? Spot on. Do they, um, are they doctors? What are these people? They're, they're not doctors. They are I mean, I don't want to call them traditional healers. They, they're people who provide a, a specific service and they're not registered and they're not registered as medical professionals and they don't have dispensing licenses either. So the, the two big things, I mean, I mean, the law is complicated, but the big thing is that you can't actually well, you can't charge them with murder, which we'll talk about a bit later, but you can charge them for dispensing without a license because what is given is a gastric pill, which mm-hmm. then causes contractions and causes labor and causes the termination. And you can charge them with performing medical procedures without being licensed medical practitioners. So it's one pill and that's it? Pretty much. Really? Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Now, the, that's second trimester. What happens is third? Look, third becomes very complicated because post-26 weeks, you must remember that a baby then is legally viable. Mm. So pre-26 weeks, you know, people have miscarriages and, you know, babies are, are terminated. But post-26 weeks, the, the baby that is, to, that is to be terminated could be born, could be born viable, could mm. be born alive and could lead a a fulfilled life. Mm. So if you're starting to terminate at that stage, you know, you, you induce in labor, you know, um, I mean, essentially the children have to be sort of killed in utero because if they're born, they, they can be viable. So the, the thing that happens around those, those ages is that what happens is the children often are born. Mm. So they're born very prim. So they may be born, they may be stillborn. I'm talking about the backyard abortions now. They may be stillborn, but they may also be born and actually breathe. But then because the the mother thought that they were going to be, um, dead on, uh, sort of dead on birth, the, the children um, are left to die. So what we find is we find children who are discarded in the, I mean, we've got a map of the streets of Joburg where the children are discarded. And we're finding children that could have been viable and children that we don't know if they were viable because they're too decomposed um, for us to do the uh, sort of the pathological testing. Look, are these kids actually dumped? Yes, they dumped. They dumped? They dumped, yeah. At what age? 
Um, the, the majority of the ones that are that are dumped from the backyard abortions are sort of post uh, post twenty six weeks. Mm. Probably about sixty percent are post twenty six weeks from you know the measurements that we can we can make out, and then obviously the others are from the backyard terminations and they're disposed of. Mm. So the the dumped babies could, if they had have got to a medical facility, could have been viable. And like I said, that's the post twenty six. It's actually weeks. a life that's been taken in sure. every case, and yeah. and legally these are people. Absolutely, and mm. this being a legal show, the big the big issue is that until a baby takes a breath on its own, mm. that baby is not considered a human being. So that so you can't charge anybody with murder, mm. not the mother, not the um, the practitioners. I'm not talking about medical practitioners, but the people who are performing the the backyard terminations. And what happens is that. If the baby doesn't take a breath, it's concealment of birth, and very seldom will anybody even quote when we, we quote statistics around child abuse and neglect. They won't even quote a concealment of birth statistic. I mean, we quote murder, we quote sexual abuse, we quote lots of things, mm. but concealment of birth isn't one. Yeah. And if the baby has breathed and then dies, we will charge the, the mother with murder. But it, a lot of the time with the dumped babies, we can't determine whether they were ever viable because the decomposition is too is too severe for us to be able to do the necessary tests. Do you ever find the mothers? Very seldom. Uh, yeah. In one, I've had one case in in my career, which is a career of about twenty four years, twenty five years. I've had one mother who's a fifteen year old who went to one of these these guys on the street. She. Asked to have the baby terminated, um, they said what she must do is take the uh, take the baby and dispose of the baby. She gave birth in her room in the inner city. She put the baby in a bucket. She thought it was deceased. The grandmother came and found the baby was alive. The baby then died, and they charged that fifteen year old with murder. Mm. And we couldn't. The problem is, is we couldn't trace the person who performed the termination because mm. the the young girl who went to the person knew it was illegal knew that these guys were sort of underground. And what they do is they move around a lot. And they also send cars to fetch the woman for the termination so you don't quite know where they are. There's no fixed address. But we do have sort of central points in the city where we can see there's a concentration of dumped babies. Yeah. There's a woman who works at the hair salon that I go to. A baby was dumped on her doorstep, (laughs) and uh, she took it in. Sure. So I think these things are quite common. They either dump, they dump them somewhere or they dump them on, on kindly people that, that look after them. Well, that's, it's an absolutely, I mean, that for me is a fundamental sort of thought process in, in the law is around intent. Mm. So the, the, the mother that puts her child in a black plastic bag in a bin or in a dumpster or unclothed in the middle of a park in the dead of winter, the intention is clearly for that child to die. So the, there's, I don't want this baby, the father's, the father's abandoned the child prior to that because he's left the mother, you know, pregnant and alone. Mm. But then you get children who are abandoned with some form of care. So children are put into the baby bins like the door of hope or dumped at, um, on the steps of churches or left in hospitals. There the intent is more for the child to have care rather than for the death of the child. So the way we, we deal with mothers who abandon their children is very different based on intent because, you know, mothers who are looking for care for their children, how do they access that? And mothers who are wanting their children to die, how do we, how do we start saying to them, well, you know, there are other alternatives. 
So, I mean, there's programs out like um, Crisis Pregnancy and um, Adoption. There's a whole lot of programs that need to be sort of promoted more so that women realize there are more choices in terms of, you know, in terms of the way they manage their babies. Because I think sometimes the long-term psychological consequences of these decisions for young people can be quite severe, you know, when they start wanting children. How do the baby bins work? Are there specific places where you can go and dump a baby? Sure. So the, the the baby the baby bins, and I mean the the, the most famous one is the door of hope in. Mm. And basically what it is, is it's a hole in the wall. And as the baby gets put through the hole, the weight activates a, um, a bell. The bell rings and someone comes and collects the child. Do they know, can they see who the, who's dumped the baby? So that is, so the law is a funny thing, as you know, Gary. You yeah. know, it's like kind of there's, really? there's two sides to everything, yeah. you know, and there's the, the very adverse consequences of well-intended behaviors. Mm. So the one, the one thing is that because abandonment is a crime, mm. If you um, put up cameras to identify the people abandoning the children, you are witness to a crime. So you now have to report it because under the Act, you have to report the abuse of children. Absolutely. So now you have to report it. So now… No one will come. So now no one will come. So yeah. you'll end up with them on the street, which you yeah. don't want. Yes. So it becomes completely anonymous, and yeah. the, the intention is to not attempt to identify them mm. be, for that very reason. Mm. Whereas what we want to try and encourage, because there, there are other legal challenges around abandonment. You've got to advertise the baby. You've got to make sure the baby's not lost. You've got to try and find – you've got to open a police case of abandonment. They've got to try and track the mother. And all of that delays the adoption process, and all of that causes psychological problems. Problems for the child because they're institutionalized rather than with children. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you can get uh, parents to come and sign for the adoption and say, instead of putting the baby in the bin on the street, I would like to give my baby to someone else, and they can be taken through the process and sign the adoption off, that makes the adoption a lot smoother. Plus, mm-hmm. for that mother who has decided to give her baby up, she has some comfort in the fact that someone is going to care for that baby. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really what we're tra- trying to say is, worst case scenario, that the mothers who abandon their children with the intent of death, or they just don't really care what happens to them. I don't know if they intended for them to die, but they know the likelihood is they will die if they're reasonable. How many babies are abandoned? Do you have do you, you have know, some you stats? Know, like, you know, the the last time we looked at it, we're looking at sort of in the greater Johannesburg area. You could we could have a baby a baby abandoned sort of every working day of the week. Cheapest. You know, so it's uh, it's it's big numbers, and the you know the thing is abandoned. You must remember, children also abandoned with. Uh, Sort of with neighbors, uh, abandoned with family friends. So, you know, the, the, the hectic kind of emotive abandonments that we talk about are the ones where the children are abandoned with intent on death, less so the ones put in the door of hope. But then there are children abandoned with people on all kinds of different levels. But those children are abandoned in some form of care, even hospitals. What should we do, Luke, to improve the situation? Is there anything? What well, should the public do that, that's listening? You see, the, fir- the first thing for me is that my, my opinion at the moment, and I'm sure I share it with other people, is that what the abandonment and abuse and termination figures are showing us is that we, we have wholly failed around um, sexual reproductive health in this country. Because the, the problem of not wanting children is the problem of not wanting to have them in the first place. 
I mean, people must have as much sex as they like. It's not my issue. My issue is to understand the potential consequences of your sexuality, particularly when you're giving birth to another life or you're giving rise to another life. It's one thing to take a risk for yourself. Uh, I might get HIV. I'm willing to take the risk or whatever. But to take it, you know, to take well, that it's risk. Well, it's a double risk. You're giving the baby a chance of picking up HIV as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. also, mm. you, you, are, you are saying that, I, you know, my intention with this man was not to have a child. Mm-hmm. Therefore, this child is something that I didn't want. Yeah. And as a result, I have no connection to this child. And then the chance of abandonment, as I said before, neglect, abuse, just, I mean, they rocket exponentially. So it's really about trying to be conscious of the consequences of uh, coitus, I suppose, to be mm. attempt to be poetic with all C's and stuff. Yeah. Luke, uh, you've also been very involved, and I have spoken to you about it before, about shaken baby syndrome. Mm. These are This is something that we can touch on. Mm. Uh, babies are being killed by their own parents, shaken sure. and, and murdered mm. as such. Why? Why is that? And explain a little... Okay. What's going on there? So, shaken baby syndrome is a is a syndrome that has been sort of documented in primarily sort of the first six months of life. The baby's heads are very big; their necks are very weak. It's a time when colic is most prevalent, and it's a time when postpartum depression is quite high as well. And it's a time when we we have a situation where um, when a child is born. The, everybody around you will say, oh, you're so lucky, or, you know, Mazel Tov, and you've fallen pregnant, and you've got this bundle of joy coming into your lives. And sometimes that bundle of joy is not so much a bundle of joy. Mm, you know. It's not something you plan for or you want. Yeah. Even, even if you did, you know, that, that baby is soiling itself and wetting itself and it's crying, and the, the man, you know, they call it happy hour with where women are changing nappies and trying mm. to feed children as the sun goes down and whatever. For men, happy hours appears to be in the pub to avoid all of that uh, stuff. <laughs> Stuff. Uh-huh. So what what happens is it's very hard for women to ask for help. So the levels of frustration build. And I mean, when I worked on the crisis lines at Childline, I would have mothers phone me and say, "I'm going to throw my baby out the window. You need to help me." Mm. So there's programs like Purple Crying. There's programs like Patience, and there's a, there's a whole lot where they're saying that you are sleep deprived. Often you have very little support. The best of the best feel this way. I felt that way. Sometimes you want to throttle your kid. We all feel that way. 100%. You're tired. You're stressed. They're jumping on your – you know, I can go on and on. Absolutely. So what you're saying is really important. Where do we go to kind of calm us down and relieve us? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that a lot of the the families that I've seen, and we've seen sort of 35 over the last couple of years who have shaken their their children – I don't think they intended to cause the level of harm that they did cause. And the, the harm is severe. Mm. The children end up with cerebral palsy. They end up with visual problems. They end up with learning problems, behavioral problems, all kinds of things. I think you were on a show where we had uh, baby Michael. Exactly. Uh, his parents smashed him against the wall or no, not th- or something like that. They bashed him. Correct. Now, he's he, a slightly different case because yeah. they're the, He the, died eventually. He did. Yeah. He, d- he died. Well, baby Michael died eventually and baby Wade at the time mm. died immediately. Mm. So you get shaken baby and you get shaken impact. So when you bash a baby, clearly you know that you're going to cause incredible damage. But what we see when the, the babies are, are shaken is that you get in a movement in the head. So the brain starts moving backwards and forwards, and there's lots of fluid. The babies, the bones of the baby's head haven't all stuck together yet. And the, the brain is moving around in the, in the liquid in the brain. 
and it doesn't only go backwards and forwards, so hitting the frontal lobe and then the, the lobe at the back, which is responsible for vision. It's starting to rotate. And what happens is the brain swells and we get an injury to the whole brain. Mm. So when a child falls and bashes their head, you get an injury. It might even bleed. There might be a, a fracture to the head. And what happens is we can quite easily manage that and there's less potential long-term harm. But what happens when babies are shaken, the head expands and expands and expands, and eventually they they start going into comas, they start fitting, they often die. But also about a third of them have mild problems. A third are severely disabled, like baby Michael was. And baby Michael, in fact, died of a complication mm. from cerebral palsy, which was caused by the shaking. Yeah. So he would never have died of that condition if he hadn't been shaken. Mm. It's murder, isn't it? Sure. Ultimately. Yeah, that's... Sure. And I think, you know, the the difficulty, as we said earlier, is that the case law around, for example, the concealment of births is until a baby has taken a breath, the baby is not considered a viable entity. But once Mm. that baby is breathing on its own, that baby is a legal entity. And the the reasonable person knows you cannot shake a tiny little couple of kilogram baby backwards and forwards when the head is moving all over the place and not cause damage. And the two things we see that are sort of absolutely central to the well, the diagnosis, obviously a medical one, but to the social part, which I'm more involved in, is the medical history never fits the injuries. Mm-hmm. And there's a massive delay between the um, incident and the reporting of the abuse. So what you are finding is that the children are coming in with this vague history sort of banged the child's head against the door Mm. by accident while I was Mm. turning them. And I said, but when did this happen? Two days ago, why didn't you bring the the baby? The cupboard was open and something like that. Or the killer sofas where the children fall off the couch and, you know, and children don't. Look, if someone feels hysterical, as Mm. we often do, Mm. but it it goes beyond the normality of it. Where do they go? Who can they talk to? Look, there's there's a child line. They used to phone me quite often, the moms, um, mm. and say to me, I'm going to hurt this child. You know, there's nobody around me. It's the middle of the night. They're streaming their heads off. Mm. Um, I can't console this child. I've fed them. I've cleaned them. I've bought them. I've soothed them. They, they, they will not stop crying. I don't mm. know what to do. Mm. So you'd say to them, go put the baby down. You know, the crying's not going to kill them. You know, obviously have to make sure there's nothing that they're not crying for some kind of medical reason. We need to get them to a doctor. Mm. But go put them down. Go make yourself a cup of tea. The baby is going to catch your breath. And all of us know that feeling in ourselves when our hearts beat too fast. Mm. Our met- we have the taste of metal in our mouth. Mm. Our brain becomes fuzzy. At that time, you should not be holding a tiny little baby. Phone somebody, ask them to help you. Mm. Um, we've, we've had people take the child, put them in a pram, wheel them up and down the road. Just don't hold the child. And you, and, and also unless get, you should do something you don't want to do. Correct. And also get out because when mm. there's people around you, you're not likely to pick your baby up and shake it. Mm. You know, um, the car might soothe, might soothe the child. So there's many strategies. And the other people who do great work is... Um, Stork's Nest, which is affiliated to all the net care hospitals. Okay. So Stork's is that free? Do you do you put the certainly the um, the telephonic consultations on S T O R K S, like the stork who delivers the baby. And uh, you just look it up. Is you it? just look it up on the yeah. internet, and if you phone them, they've got wonderful midwives and people who oh, will great. sort of talk you down and say. Mm. So we've got a partnership with them. Mm. They do fantastic work, midwifery and those kinds of you know. So, but it's also about saying to people. 
if you planned and wanted this baby, when the baby is born, you might feel really sad and you don't understand why. And that's mm-hmm. postpartum depression. You're meant to be happy. Yeah. There means to be this bundle of joy. Mm-hmm. You might want to throttle the baby, as you have said, the best of us want to, because the reality is we get pushed to our limits, sleep deprivation. Just you must remember, a woman's baby after birth—it's in trauma. It's it's gone through a trauma. It's in shock. You know the hormones are all out of balance. So it's a case of being able to, instead of just reacting, to say uh, uh, something is wrong here. I need to take a step back and I need to think because if I carry on in this way, I'm actually going to hurt my baby. So it's better to put down, walk away, take a breath, make sure the baby's safe where you put the baby down, and then come back once you have caught your breath and or you phone somebody or you've got some kind of great advice this really people need help absolutely so often and, and can't it's not ask a, for it. fathers mothers whatever it absolutely may be. Yeah. the primary caregiver because the reality is often they cannot ask for help because when you ask for help as a parent you're seen as you failing as a parent and nobody wants to feel like that okay luke we're going to invite uh, we have invited uh, sue ellen into our studio mm. She's she's got a tale to tell as well. She's we're waiting for her. She'll be in in a minute. Let's break for a minute, and uh, when she comes in, we're going to talk about uh, what's going on at Christmas. Perfect. Good. This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law, like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg with Lionel Makokotlela. Uh, Luke Lamprecht was talking to us. How interesting was that? Like? Extremely, but quite sad because, um, you know, some of us want to be parents, but we don't really necessarily understand the accountability and responsibility that comes with that, having to raise somebody, a, 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 an innocent soul. Uh, it's just... It's moving. Yeah. It's really moving. Luke is a long-standing advocate for child protection and consultant for the Johannesburg Child Advocacy Forum. He has masters. You have your masters, don't you? Or I'm, you busy I'm, with a- I'm actually busy writing the uh, the murder research up, so that's the uh, sort of heartbreaking part of it. So it's been a bit of an arduous task. If you need any advice on children, anything to do with children as a parent or as whatever – Luke is your man. He knows the law and he knows the emotive side as well, the emotional side. We joined today as well by Sue Ellen Sheehan. She's the girl who got Bob Hewitt convicted or helped towards it. And Bob Hewitt was her tennis coach and raped her when she was 12. We all know the story. When she heard me dealing with children, she said, I want to be there. I, I, I was a child. I went through trauma. Just bring me in. And she loves Luke, as we all do. So welcome to you, Sue Ellen. Hi, Gary. Thanks for having me. Uh, Bob Hewitt is languishing in a Port Elizabeth jail at the moment. He is, and it's my first Christmas in six years as a free person. Yeah. We're going to talk about what's going on at Christmas. Uh, There's so many adults, parents, children that are just floating around aimlessly, unhappily. Uh, Some of them are being abused and neglected and whatever. Talk to us about that, Luke. We know the great side of Christmas. Mm. Give, spare a thought for those who are not having joy at this time of year. 
Well, I think that a lot of it has to do with the financial pressure. So, you know, if you're a parent who wants to do good things for your children, you've got this because we live in a very consumer-based culture. You know, you want to give your children the best to show that you are successful. And that pressure, I think, causes a, a lot of challenges for parents. And I think the other thing that I see a lot of is the the, the decrease in supervision by external um, sort of institutions, creches, schools, etc. Mm-hmm. And the children are only with family and often in contexts where they're not very well supervised. So there's lots of alcohol, there's lots of people that the, the parents don't know. And what we, what we often see is teenagers who will abuse younger, um, younger family members or family friends. We'll see, um, the uncle who you haven't seen for a while who's had too much to drink and the parents are, and everybody's drinking, everyone's sleeping over. So the opportunistic offenders are the people who are likely to use opportunity to sexually offend. Um, they have much more opportunity to offend. And we become very quiet, ironically, during this period. But once the schools and the creches and that go back and the other kind of uh, sort of centers of care for children start picking up things that have happened in the festive season. We, we become extremely busy as a backlash to really a lack of parental supervision and an increase in parental stress during the festive season. When you hear, Suellen, that kids are being abused by family members, people you trust at Christmas or whenever it is, uh, how do you feel about it? You know, what it, advice do we give? It's, it's something that really, really makes me angry. Um, you know, the advice that I've got is for the little ones who can't speak for themselves, who get forced to hug that uncle or kiss that uncle or be alone with that auntie or uncle or grandpa or stepdad. If they don't want to, just leave them. If that person is offended by what, by, by the little one saying he doesn't want to be hugged or he doesn't want to sit on grandpa's lap or whatever, leave him. It, it, it's his right to say no. Mm. And, you know, nine times out of ten is probably a really, really good reason why he, he doesn't want to be near that person. Do we let our kids sleep over? No. 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 We all, you know, when I was growing up, it wasn't even a consideration. I don't know whether things were, we didn't realize it then or whether it's just become worse. But uh, we kind of slept over. I mean, I, I, I don't know. We know what the stats are. Uh, the, the, the male abuse is one out of six and so on, which is terrifying. You know, you know, Gary, I'm not as well versed as Luke is, but, but in my opinion, I think that substance abuse from alcohol to everything else has increased so significantly that just that on its own, if you're leaving your kids to sleep over at a friend's house or be it whoever it is, mm. and there's any, any substance abuse of any sort, there's potential danger. Don't let them sleep over or out, really. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's uh, coming from a, a mom and someone who was abused. Yeah. Exactly. The one thing we have seen that the, where the world is a very different place to where both you and I grew up, Gary, I mean, I'm not mm. going to guess your age specifically, but certainly mm. when I grew up, mm. is that there was never the level of exposure to kind of uh, sexuality that there is now. Mm. So the advent of the so-called smartphone and access and uh, sort of unfettered access to the internet, etc., it has has changed the face of sexuality and sexual development in massive and often monstrous ways. Mm. So for example, I see a number of young sex offenders. So there's, these will be teenagers generally um, who have offended against younger children. So, so t- talk to us about that. There's a boy yeah. of what, 15, 16? Let's yeah. say a boy of 15 and yeah. uh, 
a girl two, two ten no boys two ten year old boys mm. or a girl of fifteen and a boy of twelve or a so what happens is you've got one who is post puberty mm. and the others who are pre pubertal mm. so there's there's the exposure via the internet and what happens is the children well the, the adolescents will see what's been done they look around and say where can i possibly um try this out mm. and the, where they tried out is with those who are accessible to them so it's the opportunity again the opportunistic offense so it's not necessarily a planned thought out kind of um you know like a, a pedophilic predatory kind of thing it's the opportunity presents i've seen this my body is feeling around aroused i'm feeling aroused and then they use those those smaller children as kind of the the stimulus for the sexuality mm-hmm. so we've seen we've seen an increase in the amount of children abusing other children and often when the sleepovers happen as suellen says you know the, the grandfather and the uncle and the you know the the stepdad and the whatever that you you don't want people to hug or the child doesn't want to hug it's very often in these instances we're seeing now that it is older children who are being sexual with younger children and i mean the law around that is in terms of the ages of criminal capacity and all of that is also very complicated so these cases have to be managed very sensitively because they're all children but the, the, there's a real concern around just giving children completely unfettered access to the internet because when they're looking up things around sex and sexuality, and if you as parents are not talking to your children about sex and sexuality, they're going to find it out from their peers on the internet. And that's really, I mean, what, what do, pornography do, do, does. Do they get this at school? Or do, do school, we as parents? Yeah, no. school, home, yeah. Uh, from their friends, but I mean, the, cousins. The, the coaching that they need from their parents, mm. are they getting it or are they getting it from the teacher at school? Oh, sorry, yeah. I misunderstood. No, my question so, wasn't well placed, yeah. yeah. So, so in terms of the pornography, it's everywhere. Yeah. So if you think it's not on your phone and in your house or at your school. It's you know, everywhere, yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the sex education, there's a very simple rule, and, and that is that the greatest protective um, feature for a child for anything, whether that's early sexual debut, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's addictions, pornography, whatever, is a good parent-child relationship. Mm. So the parent sets the tone and should be the tone setter for things around morality and development. Now, when something goes wrong in a child's development, say, for example, a child has poor muscle tone or they're not speaking properly or they've got some behavioral challenge, we send them to OTs, physios, etc. Mm-hmm. What we don't do is when a child has a sexual, uh, the sexual developmental challenge, address that. Everybody freaks out and they, uh, no one knows what to do because we haven't give, given children a vocabulary. And this actually goes back to what I was saying about the shaken and battered babies is we haven't given people a sexual and reproductive vocabulary, a positive way of talking about intimacy and the meaning of sex and sexuality and how to express it. Rather said, don't do it, you know, abstain, be faithful, wear a condom, else you're going to get a disease and die. Don't fall pregnant, you're going to ruin your life. But what can you do? So for me, within, for example, your religious context or your cultural context or your own personal set of values and morals, what are you imparting to your child? What is the value? That can then get reinforced by school, it can get supported by the religious institutions, but the tone is set by the parent because the parent is the primary caregiver. You cannot, no parent can ever, ever kind of uh, abdicate their responsibility for any part of a child's development to another person. Mm -hmm. And sexuality is about intimacy, it's about relationships. So the the big thinking for me is around around saying to parents, 
If you want your child to behave in a certain way, you have to set that tone. Because anybody can be anybody can do my job, anybody can be a lawyer. Only I can raise my child and only you can raise your child. It cannot be abdicated to others. And we're doing too much abdicating to other people for our children's well being, moral development. Um, and we should do less of it and spend more time with our children. Talk to us practically. At what mm. age do you do that? When do you sit down with your child and talk about the birds okay. and the bees? So the first thing to, to understand is that sexuality in children develops from the day they're born because uh, you know, children are born with sexual organs, children are sexual beings, but sexuality means something very different. So the first thing parents need to do is educate themselves as to what is considered normal Mm. what is worrying and what is abnormal in a particular developmental phase of a child. There's tons of the stuff on the internet if you want to go and download it. Um, there's, there's worksheets and manuals. and So for children, I'll get calls from people in creches saying, uh, these children are taking down their pants and looking at each other. This is a, I'm saying that's normal. You know, there, there are certain things in the development of children. We don't want to pathologize the genitalia. Um, when we start off as young people, we've got these cute names for the genitals. But then when we start getting to adolescence, the worst swear words we can think of refer to the female genitals. There's this weird thing that happens when this loss of innocence around puberty and the adult mm. things around sexuality happen. Because sexuality is about being in touch with your body. It's about intimacy. It's about communication. It's about a million things, not just the act of sex and, you know, the act of um, having an orgasm or whatever. So I think that they need to educate themselves on that. If something is, uh, if they see something that doesn't seem right, so it's not normal, they're worried and they need to speak to their child about it. And if there's something that worries them a lot and they feel they need professional help, they need to ask for it. So sexuality is introduced gradually. So when you start talking about sexuality in the adult sense, so around procreation, intimacy, etc., it is more around the fact that you need to prepare children also to understand their bodies. So it would need to be pre-puberty because I don't know how many of the listeners out there remember their own adolescence and puberty. It's quite a torturous time for mm. people, you know. Yes. It's not easy. Your yeah. brain is racing, your skin's breaking out, you've got these feelings you don't understand, mm. your body's not your own. And if children can... Be, be able to understand and think through those rather than acting on those impulses. They can think them through then and more importantly than that, talk them through. If their parents or somebody has given them a vocabulary to do it, we'll have a much healthier sexual development and less of these kind of thoughtless sexual encounters. So, Ellen? Yeah, you know, just, just on, on you talking about abdicating responsibility, um, I'll never know if my if 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 my mom did ask my perpetrator to teach me about it or if he took it took it upon himself. But that happened, and it happened to me when I was twelve, and it didn't go well for anybody. Um, you know, not not just that. I mean, I had a hugely busy childhood. Our kids have got way too much time on their hands, and they get left alone way too much. Um, you know, yeah, I used to spend. All my spare time on a tennis court, which again didn't really go all that well, but it wasn't during a school holiday or during a tournament that it happened. So we had like a built-in daycare. The kids don't have that anymore. It just isn't there. So they spend so much time and they just have so much time, which is not good. You know, you know it's, there's such a, 
delicate balancing act. We we try our best. I have a six-year-old. I mean, I try my best. Is it good enough? When do I sit with him? What do I discuss with him? What do I look for? It's frightening, Luke. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely frightening. Mm-hmm. You know, you watch him with other boys and other kids and the older folk and you know, how's he, you know, how's he relating to them physically, sexually? I, I, you know, but you, you gave me some good advice. You said go on the internet and what do I Google? Mm. Seriously, if so, I want to. So yeah. basically what you do is. I have a six year old, yeah. yeah. So it's parent guidelines for normal sexual development. Is that, is that the words I put That's into Google? Word. And then what, what will happen is you'll get workbooks and worksheets and they give you lists. So tick lists and then you'll have things that are normal. Are you in favor of this? Is this? Very much so. Yeah. Um, in fact, I lecture this to master students at WITS at the medical school for people doing, um, sort of, the neurodevelopmental causes mm. It's essential because what happens is, is People tend to react In, especially at the moment Because you know the, the whole Kind of the world of sexual abuse And the abuse of children has opened up So what often happens is people Overreact to things or underreact. Now, overdiagnosing a problem in a child and underdiagnosing them are equally problematic. Mm. So, if you if two children are completely, I mean, they're outside and they uh, four years old, and oh look, you 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 have a thing, and I don't have a thing, and what's that about? And it's giggling. It's innocent. Mm. It's not hidden. There's no shame. There's no guilt attached to it. There's there's none of those adult things happening. Then you come out and oh no, you can't do that because that's your that's your private and no one's allowed to. Now all of a sudden you have made that something that there's no vocabulary for, something you can't talk about at all, which wasn't their value. That's your value that has come in because for them they'd rather say to them oh, what were you doing? You know there's places and things to do this. You know you can't be running around wherever you want to and doing these things and especially not with older people because those older people but if it's two same age peers mm. um, who are show me yours I'll show you mine I mean we can't pathologize everything in terms of children's development and if we do we foreclose certain elements of their development and create problems later okay so I google parent guidelines for, for the normal for sexual the development of children excellent I hope our listeners get that mm. have a look at it uh, there's a, a wealth of, of information. Ah, there's there's, there's yeah. lots of them. And what you can do is, because sexuality, would specifically with the ch- the change in communication and, well, communication technologies, so sort of the internet and the way people have had to speak to children around HIV at much younger ages because mm. of the transmission of HIV, there has been shifts in, in development. So try to get things that are quite current and don't just take one resource as being mm. the kind of the absolute authority. So take like three, four resources, look at the list together and say, okay, well, those six things appear on both lists. You know, that makes sense. Look, at this time of year, we yes. have sad parents. Their yes. kids are going off with yes. the custodian, the custodial parent. Mm-hmm. What what do they do? Yeah. Look, I, I, think, I think that is probably one of the more difficult, in fact, probably one of the most difficult things of all I deal with is around reconstituted families. And the advice to the families, and I'm going to be a little bit blunt and I apologize for this up front, is that at the end of the day, the two of you loved each other enough to either have sex or maybe you didn't love each other enough, or if you got married and now you divorced, you loved each other enough to get married. That, that role may be different. So you may no longer be husband and wife. You may no longer be lovers or whatever you were, friends even. But you will, the one thing that will never change is you will always remain the parents to that child. And unless there's an exceptionally good reason 
for you to not allow good telephone contact in in today's day and age with um Wi-Fi and Skype and um, WhatsApp, and WhatsApp and whatever. There's no reason for no FaceTime. There's there's no reason to not allow your child to feel connected to the other parent, even if you're not in the same place. Yes, that does have to be limited. And yes, I do get it that there's a lot of very high conflict families mm-hmm. out there where the issues remain between the parents and the children are the casualties of that. That for me is of the saddest things I see. Mm-hmm. So my advice to parents is just be reasonable. You know, at the end of the day. The, the two of you got together and produced this wonderful child. The two of you need to co-parent. You may not even like each other anymore, but you have to parent together. And the only casualty of a high-conflict divorce is the child at the end of the day. So, you know, obviously if the child has been abused and it can be proved, and that's a whole other topic entirely, you know, around allegations of abuse in divorces. But if you can, wherever possible, Foster the fact that 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 parent, that other parent, although you might not like them, is still a good father, is still a good mother, because that child is still a composite of the two what parents. What happens if they're not? We often hear that. Mm. He's, he's a rubbish, the mother says. Yeah. I'm forced to send my kid away with him. Uh, Look, I, 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 I get that people may feel that. But that's the adult's thing, and no matter how bad that person is, it is you as the adult's job to manage that. That person may be a terrible, terrible husband, and there are many of those out there. That doesn't necessarily make him a terrible father. There, there are discussions that need to happen between those two people to say, look, I don't agree with what you do, which is why as you as a lawyer know we've got good parenting plans that we try and get in place and mediated so that we know how to behave in terms of discipline, hygiene, doctors, things, religious festivals, whatever. So it gives us a guideline as to how to behave. But ultimately, for you to berate the other parent, that child remains part of the... That that child remains part of the um, the other parent, and what you what you cause psychologically is called splitting. So what happens is now mom is all good, then all of a sudden dad is all good. Now if a child goes to dad. The child has to be a certain way because that's the way you relate to dad. When child goes home, child can't talk about dad because mom's going to say he's a rubbish. So what you're doing is you're not allowing the child to integrate. So they're leading these two completely separate split existences, which is really not good for their development. Mm, for sure. Mm. You've got strong views, Sue Ellen, on this one. I have very, very strong views on it. And um, I could talk for hours on it, but... I don't think that you should ever, ever, ever put your kids between your issues. It's it's abusive. It's flat out abuse. And you should all be big enough to fake it if you have to. Um, The best word on this, yeah. It is. It is. I haven't seen my child for six years. He's grown. I'm a grown woman. And um, I haven't seen him for six years over Christmas. And it's not even my doing. It's because somebody has put, put nonsense into his head. Don't do that to your kids, please. It's, it's supposed to be a happy time for all of us. And, you know, Gary spoke earlier on about Facebook and all the posts that, that everybody has to look at. We all look at it. And we need to take cognizance of that as well. And if there's a parent sitting watching his ex-wife having a glorious holiday with his children, he's going to get depressed. He's going to get down. He's going to start resenting and it's going to start a vicious cycle of fighting. Please, just, just be nice. Try. Mm. Yeah, it comes from the heart. Lange, you wanted to say something as well. Oh yeah, um, it's it's heartbreaking. I must just say, but I think parents need to be grown up and just really take responsibility for their own actions. Mm. But uh, bringing dragging children into their uh, diplomatic issues, I think it's just wrong. It's you know, these wrong. posts that we find on Facebook are often 
distorted uh, they make you feel like a loser but they distorted lies uh, because uh, th- what appears to be a happy time is not often a happy time mm-hmm. so don't get caught up in that nonsense exactly. people put their happy so-called happy pictures up but they're not that, not that happy so uh, yeah i wouldn't take too much notice of what i see on facebook yeah. it's like robin williams said uh, life is what happens between the photographs absolutely mm-hmm. mm. True. Luke, it's uh, it's Christmas, mm. and there are a lot of kids out there that are sad and lonely. Mm. Uh, what can they do? Who can they phone? What what is there for for those very sad children? Okay, well, there's there, there's a there's a couple of important issues at the moment. The first thing is some children have just got their report cards, as in last week, mm. and sometimes their report card is not what their parents have anticipated or what they have anticipated. And there's a lot of, what am I going to do next year? I failed. There's a lot of the, the stuff happening around matric now. What's going to happen with my matric? And essentially the kind of the pressure on children at the moment is is enormous. And if they don't perform in a way that kind of society or we or the school or whatever think that they should be, they can be very sad. Also, can be issues around divorce. It can be the first. Um, it can be the first holiday they have in um, after a parent is deceased. They can have ill parents they're looking after. So there's many, many reasons for it. Mm. So the most important thing is for them to be able to phone someone like Childline, which is we teach children on their hands because there's ten numbers, which is the O eight O O O, and then the five fives. So. At least what what age group does Childline everything yeah, across the board across the board, yeah. and then the other people I always say do fantastic work is SADAG, so the South African Depression and Anxiety Support Group, because when you are in when you are in that dark space, the your ability to think is severely impaired, mm. and what you need to do is to be able to just have a sounding board for somebody to just to just hear you, because the rumination, in other words, the thinking about yourself and your problem in your head on your own all the time. Yeah, it gets worse and worse. It's monstrous, mm. and it's extreme. I mean, it's bad for your health, frankly. I mean, it causes releases all, releases all kinds of terrible hormones that cause all kinds of terrible things, but. Children really need to be able to say, you know what, as hard it was, as hard as what it is, I need to talk. And if they can't talk to someone in their family, which is prize one, a friend, if they can't talk to a friend, then if it's so shameful or they feel no one will get them or they feel there is no one, just to reach out to a stranger, just so there's another voice in your head, is, an alternative is dialogue. toll free? They both, yeah, they both got toll free toll numbers. Free. Yeah, toll free. Okay, so yeah. we can phone. Yeah, free, yeah. free, and I and I think it's it's just to have another dialogue in your head. Absolutely, that's the really important part. Yeah, we wish we wish you all a very yeah. No, we, I'm not going to end off soon. I know you want to say something. Please use these numbers; mm. they're there for you. Absolutely. If Luke advocates them, then please, they're good. Mm. Childline, Sadag, any any others, Luke, that you want? Those to are the two big ones for this yeah. time of year. The Lifeline does great work as well, where you can mm. actually walk into their their offices as well, and you can phone them as well. So there's I, a couple of yeah. Around. I interviewed someone who does it by SMS mm. uh, for kids. I can't remember their name. It's quite a while ago. Do you remember? Were you around? Like? No, I wasn't no, around. I think it was before your time. So Ellen, you want to say? Yeah. Please. I have one last thing. Please, please, please. If you are out and you are drinking. Please don't put your kids in the car and drive with them. It's not okay. Yeah, it just sure. isn't. Call Uber, do something, don't drive with your kids. You're either going to leave them orphans or you're going to kill them. Just quickly on the law, on the Children's Act, mm. Sexual Offences Act, 
if you see something that's not right, you have to report it. It's not should I, shouldn't I? Mm. You must by law. Talk so, to us quickly, Section so, 54 and all. Yeah. So Section 54 very simply says that any person who knows a child has been sexually abused must report it immediately to the police. Mm. And Section 150 of the Children's Act says that certain people, doctors, social workers, lawyers, etc., etc., who know that a child has been abused must report it. If you suspect it, you may report it. So that gives you a little bit more leeway. But if yeah. you see something that is clearly abuse, you have to report it. And if not, there's a potential fine or imprisonment for, for not doing so. Yeah, I think you can go to jail for five years five or years. ten years or something. No, is it's it's five, five years. Five yeah. years. Mm. If you don't report it. People that turn a blind eye and say, well, it's not my kid. It doesn't matter whose kid it is. doesn't matter. You have to report it if you see abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, you know, Luke. Talking—it's been—it's quite a scary show. This because mm. I mean, it, it brings you back to reality. That's what's going on on out there. There are kids in very, very sad states right now. Mm. Absolutely, I would like to say one thing in conclusion, though, to parents is that please try and enjoy your children, because what happens is parents stress about it. I call it the panic of providing. We need to give enough. We have to give all of these presents. We have to have good holidays. And in the panic of providing, we forget to be present with our children. So remember to just enjoy your children as well. Do nice things with them. Mm. Excellent advice. You just come back from the Free, Free State. Free State, indeed I have. Were you hiking or were you working? We were riding horses and oh, doing really? all kinds of things. Is it yeah. kid? Do you have kids, Luke, as I well? I do, indeed. Yeah. Wish you well over Christmas to everyone listening. Suellen, thanks for making your way here. Thank you. Luke Lamprecht, he's the biggest name in children. Uh, My hero. Kids. Yeah, he's everyone's Thank you hero. very much. Uh, you've done so much for all of the kids. We really appreciate what you do. Lionel Makoklelo, thank you very much. It's only a pleasure, Steve. Yeah, great. Speak thanks. to you again, Luke. Thanks for 100%. making your way. And happy holidays. It. Yeah, you too. Happy holidays to everyone. And to Palissa, thank Palissa. you. Palissa. <laughs> Cliffcentral.com